0: Please pray with me. Father, now we ask that your grace and your mercy will be upon us as we gather yet again to sit at your feet and to be fed your word. Lord, it is with your word that we find hope, that we find peace, we find love. And God, we ask now that you would sustain us as we seek to be refreshed and renewed by the preaching of the word. God, we have gone through so much and we are still going through so much and father it is only by the guiding hope that your word gives that we are able to endure and that we're able to stay faithful and so lord we pray that you will speak yet again to your people and that you'll empower us to go before you in faith and that we would live faithfully before a watching world father we ask now that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it for we ask all these things in jesus name amen and amen you know, recent reports are telling us that when the COVID-19 vaccine finally comes out, the most likelihood is, is that we're going to need more than one shot. In other words, we are going to need a booster shot for the COVID vaccine in order to be adequately protected from the virus itself, something to which I know that my five children are going to be so happy to hear. But then again, we shouldn't be too surprised of this news because after all, all of the greatest diseases that are out there all require boosters, do they not? Chickenpox, polio, measles, HPV. All of the greatest diseases that are out there require boosters. And here's what is so interesting. That truth also applies when it comes to the greatest spiritual diseases. What's that? Yeah, it's true. Some of the greatest threats to our spiritual health require frequent exposure to biblical teaching and preaching that functions as a booster to our spiritual immunity so that we could be protected against certain kinds of spiritual diseases. And one particular kind of spiritual disease that I believe is especially endangering to Christians right now during the season of COVID is the disease known as consumerism. Consumerism. You remember consumerism. It's that ideology that says you can have it your way, right away, any way you want it. That's consumerism. And in this period of COVID where everything is being shifted online, like online worship services, online community, online gatherings, online church, Christians being especially infected by consumerism is especially acute right now. Consider these words from pastor and author Jay Kim in his book, Analog Church, as he writes, quote, At their worst, social media and digital spaces create a false sense of connection and a facade of community, and they are very skilled at their ruse. We must never forget that they are what Dallas Willard called dreary substitutes in the form of pleasures. We must never lose our appetite for the real analog thing, true human connection and community driven by empathy. Without it, discipleship to Jesus just isn't possible. You know, one of the dangers of living in this time of everything being online is that can cause Christians like us to get infected with consumerism that essentially kills community. And so with that in mind, I, as your pastor, feeling this pressing need in light of this clear and present danger, I wanted to give you a spiritual booster a teaching that you've already been exposed to and yet need to be exposed yet again, and that is the teaching of biblical community. I want to talk about why biblical community is so important. And so we take a look at the classic passage of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And as we do, the author of Hebrews is going to show us why community is so vital for us as genuine followers of Jesus. And so with that in mind, three things that I want to share with you in today's sermon. First, we're going to talk about the necessity of community. Then we're going to talk about the intensity of community. And then we're going to end it with the physicality of community the necessity the intensity and finally the physicality of community let's begin with our first point the necessity of community let's skip down to the middle of our passage we're starting in verse 22 it reads as follows let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water okay come on back here, the author of Hebrews is telling us that in light of the work of Jesus, which is what he means by that phrase of our hearts being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, in light of that precious work of Christ, we are to draw near. But the question is, draw near to who? Draw near to God. In other words, because Jesus' work on the cross has made God available and therefore accessible to us, we are to draw near to to God Now, before I go on, I do want to pause for just a moment and bring to your attention okay, the word that the author uses right before that phrase, draw near, and that's the word us. Us. What is that word us? And I mean grammatically speaking. What is that word? It's the first person plural, right? And indeed, when you look at our passage carefully, you'll notice that the author employs variations of the first person plural throughout the passage. We, our, us. In fact, he uses it exactly eight different times. Okay. And when you look at each instance in which he employs the first person plural, it's always in the context of whom God came to save. And when you make that realization, you come to a startling conclusion. And you know what that is? It's this, God didn't die to save me, Jesus came to die to save us. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't die simply to save me, Jesus came to die so that he could save us. And because that is true, that also means if I am not part of an us, then I as an individual, I cannot draw near to God. In other words, if I attempt to have a deep, intimate fellowship with my God, all by myself as a loner i'm not going to know much about him at all you know in our little christian circles we constantly emphasize this idea of having a personal relationship with god as if that is the most paramount essence of what it means to be a christian that you must have a personal relationship with god and indeed that is absolutely true but what so often happens to so many of us is that we take that truth and come to a wrong conclusion namely that a personal relationship with god means a private relationship with God, as if the most holiest person on this earth is some isolated hermit living in the middle of nowhere, far from civilization, just having kind of this one-on-one, mystical, deep, abiding fellowship with God. No, absolutely not. The Bible says that is absolutely not true. Case in point, you go to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and go to the second chapter, and there you'll read the recounting of God creating all creation, all the world okay and in that particular chapter you notice that god goes through a creative process where a certain pattern emerges it's the pattern where god creates something and then he proclaims it good he creates something else and then he proclaims that good he moves and creates something else after that and he proclaims that good and on and on throughout his creative process he goes through that pattern up until the creation of man adam who at this point was the only human being ever created. And for the first time ever, God says, something is not good. Read it for yourself. This is Genesis 2, verse 18. It reads, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now what makes this proclamation of God so profound is that it happens before chapter 3 of Genesis, which is the chapter of the very first sin ever committed, the original sin which is responsible for the ongoing universal separation, alienation between God and man that still goes on to this day. Now that is so astounding to me because it tells us that before sin entered into the world, Adam was in a condition that was not inherently sinful, but it also wasn't good. You know I remember reading this story for the first time as a newborn Christian when I was a college student and I really had a love-hate relationship with this story a lot of ambivalence because on the one hand it encouraged me because when I was in college I, I did struggle with feelings of loneliness and I did have yearnings of being in relationships and to have friendships almost to the point where I felt like kind of like a pathetic loser right and reading this story of Adam's loneliness kind of alleviated that to make me feel like okay Maybe what I'm feeling is okay. Maybe it is totally fine. And yet on the other hand, I wasn't fine with the story. Because here's a situation where, again, there is no sin in the world. Adam has a relationship with God that is untainted by sin. He has this exclusive access, one-on-one, wonderful relationship with God that happened to be a private relationship with God, and yet he's struggling with loneliness? He's still feeling like something is missing? And then with the creation of Eve, he reacts the way that he does. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It really unsettled me because it seemed to imply that Eve, his wife, offered something to him that the great God of all creation could not. It just really didn't sit right with me, almost to the point where it started making me question, Is God really all that I truly need? Well it wasn't until I came across this very insightful quote from my favorite theologian to this day, man by the Herman Bobbing, as he explained how I should understand all this. Listen to what he says, quote, All of the relationships which exist in the world between bridegroom and bride, man and woman, parents and children, rulers and subjects, and the like, are called upon in Scripture to teach us the rich, many-sided relationships in which people in general, and particularly believers, stand in relation to God. And none of these relationships can be neglected without our doing violence of some kind to the intimacy of that relationship. End quote. The moment I read this quote, it was like a light bulb went off and I said, of course, of course. The reason why Adam was dissatisfied in his relationship with God that led to his loneliness wasn't because that God wasn't enough for Adam. It was because Adam wasn't enough. For adam in other words adam as an isolated individual could not really have a deep abiding personal relationship with god he needed somebody else who also knew god to enhance to enrich to elevate his personal relationship with god and so it would be through eve that he would get to know who his god truly is you see We need other people who also know our great God to strengthen and enhance our Individualized personal relationship with God. And this is something that countless of others have said. Consider this word, these words from a professor of sociology at Columbia by the name of Robert Nisbet. Listen to what he says here. Quote, Man's alienation from man must lead in time to man's alienation from God. The stress upon the individual at the expense of the churchly community has led remorsely to the isolation of the individual, to the atomization of the personality, and to the shattering of the man-God relationship." Without community, you cannot have a deep, abiding, intimate, personal relationship with God. Without church, without an us, you cannot draw near to God. You need community that really is entrenched in knowing God together so that you as an individual can truly have a deep, abiding, personalized relationship with your Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it tells us here. But of course, by understanding this, it sparks a question. And the question is, how exactly, Pastor, do we as individual Christians engage the church, engage the Christian community in such a way that it helps me draw near to God? What sort of things do I need to do? How should I be perceiving the community? Do I need to be, you know, going to every Sunday service? Do I need to be going to someone's house for an Oikos group? Do I need to engage into a Zoom chat? Do I need to click onto a YouTube link? How exactly do I engage community so it will help me draw near to God? Well, the author of Hebrew tells us the answer in two different ways, respectively through the two let us statements in verses 23 and 24 respectively. So let's take a look at the first of the two, which leads me to my next point, the intensity of community. Read again with me verse 23 of our passage where it says the following, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now notice how the author of hebrews says that we are to hold on to or some translation puts it we are to cling to what he calls the confession of our hope the confession of our hope what in the world does that mean well i came across a sermon by aw pink on this very passage and i think he gives a very clear and concise explanation of what the author is saying here by confession of hope listen to what he says Quote, the confession of our hope is that solemn acknowledgement which is made by a person when he publicly claims to be a christian it is his vow that he has rejected the world the flesh and the devil for christ it is the claim that has thrown down the weapons of war against god and has now completely surrendered to his just demands upon him End quote so it turns out the confession of our hope is our commitment to live a life of sanctity sacrifice and service and When you think about that, it makes so much sense because what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us is that if you want to draw near to God, you need to live out these characteristics. You need to live a life of sanctity, that is, life of holiness, where you obey God's commands and you trust in His promises. You need to live a life of service where you give more than you take. You need to live a life of sacrifice where you think less of yourself and more of others. It is by living these kinds of characteristics that you're able to draw near to God. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, pastor, you just said in your first point, it's by engaging in the church community that we draw near to God. But now you're saying it's when we live a life of sanctity, sacrifice, and service that we draw near to God. Wait a minute. Aren't you contradicting yourself? Aren't these two different things? Actually, they're not. They're actually one and the same because they go together. And to help you explain, I want you to consider what the author of Hebrews says elsewhere earlier on in his letter, chapter 3. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of your sin. Here we see the author of Hebrews telling us that the way we hold on to a confession of our hope, the way that we stay committed to living a life of sacrifice, service, and sanctity is when we're part of a community that exhorts one another. In other words, we are part of a church community that is willing to be there for one another and even get in each other's faces so that we can hold each other accountable so that we would live a life of holiness, of duty, of service, of faithfulness. Okay, And what that looks like practically means is that you engage in the community in such a way where you invite people into your life. You give people permission to call you out and call you back to faithfulness and obedience to God. So, for example, you are part of a community Christian. You're truly part of the church. When, for example, someone can come up to you and say, you know what, John, the way that you just talked to your son publicly in front of everybody shaming him, that was wrong. You need to go ahead and just ask for forgiveness, repent, and reconcile with your son. Or, you know what, James, the way that you just talked to your wife over there, right? it's not the way Christ talks to the church not the way Christ loves the church you need to be more gracious okay when you have that kind of intense dynamic with the people of the church that is how you're able to live out this call to a life of sanctif- sacrifice sanctity and service you see in other words, we have to be a part of a community where we care more about each other's relationship with God than their relationship with ourselves. That we are willing to even risk the stability of our relationship to ensure their stability in their relationship with Christ. Okay? But here's the question, member of NCF. Do you have those kinds of relationship in the church that you call your family? Do you have people in this community? where you are willing to pursue and to get in someone's way if they're falling away from god if they're losing their grip to the confession of our hope and furthermore have you given people permission in your life to be that intense with you to call you out so that they could call you back to the god who loves you that's the kind of community that is required and that is the community that necessitates our ability to hold firm the grip, the confession of our hope, the commitment for us to live a life of sanctity, service, and sacrifice that thereby lets us draw near to God. Do you see that? If you do, you're probably having a follow-up question in your mind, which basically goes, okay, I see what you're saying, but pastor, if what you're saying is true, then my question is, is it possible to have this kind of intense community that is required in this online platform that we are utilizing right now? Is it possible to have the intensity of community that we need so that we can draw near to God in the ways that we are doing church right now through a YouTube link, through a Zoom webpage, or through social media in all of its various forms? Well, surprisingly the author of Hebrew has an answer for us to that. He really does. And to show you, uh, let me go to my final point, <clears throat> the physicality of community. Read again with me verses 24 and 25 of our passage. And it says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay. Now, in order to understand what these verses are saying, you have to know a little background uh, behind the letter. Okay. Okay. New Testament scholars tell us that the predominant demographic of the church that the author is writing to is Jewish Christian. In other words, a majority of the church members of this community were Jews who converted to Christianity. And one of the main reasons to why the author wrote this letter to this church is because he was hearing a growing trend of these Jewish Christians of separating themselves, disconnecting, and even disavowing their non-Jewish Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. They were not fellowshipping with them anymore. They were not spending time with them. They were not engaging in community with them. And the reason why is because the Roman Empire at this time was increasing its persecution of the Christian Church. At this time in history, Christianity is growing in influence over the empire, and the empire is not comfortable about that. They don't like that, and so they're beginning a crackdown of persecution against the christian church and so one of the ways that these jewish christians try to avoid being detected and therefore persecuted is that they downplayed their christianity and they overplayed their jewishness because remember judaism during the time of the empire was not considered a threat and therefore they were not persecuted and therefore just seemed like a perfect plan we're christian enough to please christ and we're jewish enough to please caesar but there's a problem with this strategy it required them, like I said before, to disconnect and even to disavow their brothers and sisters in Christ in this church that they were a part of. And so what do you see? You see the dismantling, you see the disintegration of community and it's in that context that the author of Hebrews says what he does in verse 25, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, some being these Jewish Christians. Now, when you understand that as the background, you can easily conclude another requirement in order for a community to be effective in drawing you near to God. And you know what that requirement is? It's the requirement of in-person physical interaction. Again, physical in-person interaction, touch, and fellowship. You see that word in 25 that says meet together, that phrase meet together? John Chrysostom, who lived in the late 300, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople, he reflected on that very statement in this passage, and he says the following, quote, As iron sharpens iron, so also fellowship increases love. For if a stone rubbed against a stone sends forth fire, how much more a person in contact with a person? clearly from the earliest days of biblical scholarship, this passage was always interpreted to mean in-person physical fellowship contact interaction. And what that means is this whole online church thing, it's not able to create the kind of community that we need in order to draw us near to God. It requires in-person physical contact. Now, I know you're hearing all this, and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, um, aren't you making some really Big assumptions there You're leaping to some conclusions That I don't know If you can really make Because after all The author of Hebrews John Chrysostom Whoever this guy is They lived before There was even computers Let alone the internet They had no exposure To Zoom and YouTube And Facebook Live How do you know That if they weren't alive today They'd be totally fine with this as a means of, of, of living out the kind of community that they're advocating for. I mean, you're just assuming so much because you have no idea whether or not they'd be okay with it or not. And you know what? I'll grant that. You're probably right. I have no idea. But guess what? You don't have any idea either. And so the way that we seem to be able to resolve this is to consider what would current spiritual leaders today, pastors today, how would they view all of this in light of what this passage is saying? I already introduced to you Pastor Jay Kim, the pastor and author of the book Analog Church, and I want to tell you a little bit more about him. He grew up and he still pastors in the Silicon Valley. That's right, the Silicon Valley, the epicenter of all thing digital, of all thing media, of all technology. And prior to COVID-19, he was part of a church that was already doing online streaming of Sunday services. They were beaming the Sunday sermon at different locations to multiple church campuses. He was entrenched in all of that. And after years and years of doing this, he reflected on it and he came to this conclusion, which is found in his book. Take a listen to what he says. Quote, Over the years, I've intermittently got into a few different online workout videos. I turn on YouTube and follow along as the instructor guides me through the routines. It's helpful for a while, but something about the experience lacks the motivating factor necessary to stay with it. There's no accountability, and simply put, it's lonely. This is why going to a gym, working out alongside others, and receiving encouragement and challenge will always outpace even the very best online programs we may find. This is also why the most physically fit people you know typically have some sort of workout community around them, be it CrossFit, another gym, a running group, a rec league team, or something else. Gathering matters. Being shoulder to shoulder and blocking out time in our busy schedules to focus on a particular goal alongside others who share the same goal keeps us motivated, encouraged, challenged, and leads to transformation. None of this can be replicated online. Quote. For someone who makes a living being committed to the kind of spiritual growth that the author of Hebrews here is advocating for, it's clear that for someone like Pastor Kim, All of this online thing just doesn't cut it. It is not sufficient in creating the kind of community that we need in order for us to draw near to our God. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I am not saying that what we're doing here is wrong. I'm not saying that what we're doing here is evil. But just like Adam being alone was not inherently wrong or sinful, but not good. So also this online gathering, It's not inherently wrong, it's not sinful, it's necessary, but it's also not good. And the reason why it's not good is because it could easily lead us into the kind of spiritual chaos, the spiritual decay that fell upon the Jewish Christians of those that the author of Hebrews was writing to. What do I mean? Consider the word that he employs in verse 25, and I'm thinking of the word habit. Habit. Do you know that word habit? What does it mean? Well, consider the standard definition it says this, quote, Habit, an acquired behavior pattern, regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. These Jewish Christians have gotten so used to, so accustomed to, so habituated to the idea of not gathering with their non-Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, That it became involuntary. That is, it became something that became an instinctual and unconscious preference. It took no effort on their end to not meet. And Christian, that is what you must fight against. You must fight against the proclivity to make us not gathering right now into a habit, into an unconscious, instinctual preference where you find no pull, no desire to gather back up again. You must fight against that kind of habit of forming into your heart. Because if you allow yourself to fall into that trap, you will definitely not be able to draw near to God. And if you think about the gospel, that makes total sense. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God came into the world as an in-person being. Right, Jesus didn't come to the world through an electronic or online form. He came in real person, with real flesh and blood. Theologians call this the incarnation. And why did Jesus incarnate? Why did He come in physical, in-person presence? Why? Because the salvation that He achieved for us required Him to experience the complete opposite of the online experience. Jesus' work was not convenient for him. Jesus' work was not instantaneous. Jesus' work required him to leave the comforts of his heavenly home. Don't you see? The online experience completely separates us from sharing in the sufferings of Christ that Paul tells us that we are to do in Romans 8 and Philippians 3. And if you're separated from the sufferings of Christ, how can you possibly draw near to God? The answer is you can, right? And this is where I really want to caution you, brothers and sisters, to not allow your heart to get so adjusted, to get so accustomed, to get habituated, into not being together. Okay, fight against that tendency. Right? Pray that God will not allow yourself to get that habituated at all. May your love to God and your desire to draw near to Him, keep your heart dissatisfied with what we're doing now, a temporary and necessary thing, so that when the time comes for us to finally get together, at last it'll be like you seeing your God once again face to face, because the community that He has placed you in will begin that process yet again of drawing you near to Him. I pray that is what you hold on to, And I pray that is what you constantly fight for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And though, Father, we have to uh, spend this time of worship in an unideal situation that is not inherently sinful, but also not good, God, we just pray for enduring grace. Give us grace so that we do not become satisfied, that we do not become habituated, that we do not become comfortable To where we prefer what we are doing now but instead make us more dissatisfied make us more hungry make us lonely for one another so that when we are back together yet again we can live out this beautiful community that helps us to draw near by the intense love that we have for one another so that in that love we can renew our commitment and strengthen our grip to the confession of our hope our commitment to live a life of sanctity, sacrifice, and service, thereby drawing near, closer to you. God, would you hear us now? For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.